Well, hey there. Welcome to the Kim Constable podcast. Nobody cares. Work harder. How the hell are you this week? It's so good to talk to you because I have an amazing episode for you today. And it is not another Q&A. It is actually an interview with someone who is quite possibly one of my most favorite people in the world. One of my newest most favorite people in the world because I only met her a few weeks ago. But yet we have become firm friends and are messaging each other every day. And I absolutely adore her. And I know that you are going to as well. Her name is Jen Fulweiler. And yes, it is spelt as you would think it is, Fulweiler. And she is a comedian who was introduced to me on Instagram quite by accident by a friend of mine, Michaela Peterson. Now, Michaela actually shared one of Jen's videos on her reel and or on her Instagram story. And if Michaela shares something and thinks it's share worthy, well, I'm going to click on it and watch. And it was a video by Jen who was talking about something which I always talk about on this podcast, which is why I know you're going to love it. And it was about how it takes a village to raise a child, about how we are surviving in the modern world without, you know, our support of our friends and our family and our women in our lives and our mothers and sisters and aunts and everyone who would be there to support us. And we are literally doing the best we can in a very unnatural situation and how we just should be a little easier on ourselves. And Jen just takes these kind of difficult topics or these things that women struggle with or mothers struggle with, and she makes them into something absolutely hilarious and quite simply she just gives you permission to feel okay about the decisions that you make and that you're not failing as a mother and she does it all through her incredible comedy. I reached out to Jen immediately that I watched this reel and I just knew she was someone I had to have on the podcast. She was a kindred spirit. You know when you just meet someone and you just know this woman is a kindred spirit, this person is like me. So I reached out to her and I said I really want to have you on the podcast and she instantly came back and agreed and we had a bit of a chat back and forth and then I interviewed her and we stayed on the podcast podcast for like after the interview was over I think we stayed on and talked for like another hour we exchanged whatsapp we exchanged cell phone numbers we've been whatsapping each other I was like please can we be friends I feel like and she was like yes I really want to be friends I was like oh I just loved this woman and I know you are going to as well this is just such a fun interview and um, Jen and I have actually talked about starting up something together now I think we're going to do it later in the year we're going to um, set up a virtual village we called it so you can look out for that. We're going to like do, you know, just as an experiment, say four small group Zoom calls where we're going to invite people to register for these calls for free. I think we'll be able to take like a hundred people on the calls and we are just going to show up and drink wine. We're going to day drink. We're going to drink wine and we're just going to talk about subjects um, that people just don't talk about. And we're going to have some girl time and we're going to invite all you guys to come along as well. So look out for that. The virtual village, we're going to call it. Um, it is going to be so much fun. And I just know Jen and I are destined to do some big things together. I cannot wait for that to happen. She's actually on a comedy tour, um, starting her comedy tour, I think in October. So it's probably going to happen after that. But I definitely will keep you up to date uh, with it on the podcast. So I'm not going to talk anymore now. I'm going to go to the interview with Jen. I'm going to let you listen to her and love her so damn hard because she is quite simply amazing. And I'll talk to you again at the end. Hey, Jen, how are you? I am. You have no idea how excited I am to do this interview with you. Oh, the feeling is so mutual. I've been looking forward to this. I am so thrilled to be here. Do you know how I find you? Um, was through Michaela Peterson. Do you know Michaela? I don't know her personally, but yeah, I I got a lot of lot of lot of new followers from her. And what was crazy is I had just been talking about her and her dad and just the stuff that they talk about. And then the next day, out of the blue, she's talking about me on stories. That was a very surreal 
moment. That was absolutely crazy. Yeah. And, you know, I'm not a big believer in kind of, you know, not that I'm not a big believer in the universe. I'm a big believer in if you work really hard, then you get the results of your, you know, your, um, your work, if you like, but I'm not a big believer in putting it into the universe and letting it come back to you. But then sometimes freaky stuff like that happens and you're like, Hmm. Yeah. Maybe there is something to all of this. Maybe, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Jen, I would really love to, um, first of all, go back to, well, before we even go back to the beginning, which is what I love to do with my guests and kind of, you know, hear your whole backstory. What I would really love to do is for you just to tell us like a little bit about what you do, who you are. You're a comedian, you have six kids, you're insanely witty and funny, but tell us a little bit about what you do. Yeah, so I am a stand-up comic and I'm headed out on tour. That's kind of my, the real day job. Like, what do you do all day? Well, right now I'm planning my tour and that that is kind of a full-time job in and of itself. And doing funny stuff on social media has actually really become part of what I do. It's become part of my job. Mm-hmm. And I have six kids. I had six babies in eight years. I am an only child and my husband is an only child. So we don't know what we're doing. And our kids, they have no aunts or uncles or cousins. It's a very unusual family setup. And so, yeah, in the, in the past, I've, I've written books and I used to do talk radio two hours a day, live talk radio. Uh, but now it's I've, I've really condensed it down and I'm just doing stand up comedy. Wow. Tell us a little bit about your background. Like, How did you get started? What was your childhood like? So I, I was an only child and I moved around a lot. And I'm also, I'm very introverted. People are surprised to hear that, but we introverts, we love being around people. When I am on a stage, I can control the interactions. It's very clear to me what's happening, but it's funny. I, it would be easier for me to be on a stage in front of 10,000 people than to stop by my neighbor's block party. In fact, that literally happened last week. My neighbors had a block party and I, I was having anxiety. I was breathing quickly. I had shallow breathing, cold sweats. And my husband said, you've been on stage. in front of Like, how is it possible that you're so nervous about stopping by our neighbor's block party? But that's that's the thing. It's very, um, uh, you know, controlled interactions, I think, is is what works best for us introverts. So being introverted and being an only child, moving around a lot as a kid, I was always the outcast. I did not make friends easily. I was bullied in some cities pretty severely. And, you know, that was tough at the time. But I I do believe that everything bad that happens to you in life, something good, if you look for it, you can find some positive outcome from it. And that really taught me to be an observer of people. You know, when you're in junior high and you have no friends, uh, you very quickly learn to pass the time by just observing that this social group is doing things this way and that way. And that was really the beginning of comedy for me was was being that kind of outcast figure and watching the world unfold around me. And so from there, I, I actually started in programming. I started my career in programming, but on the side, I was doing humorous writing. Back, back in the day when we just had websites, there was no social media, I had a few things go viral on a website that was comedy material. So that was always in the back of my mind that I, I like humor, I like writing. And from there, uh, I wrote a couple of books and those did pretty well. That led to me doing talk radio. But again, there's this theme. And, and I always encourage people who are seeking what they might be meant to do in life. Look for the themes that that keep coming up in your life over and over. So even though it looks like my career was very zigzag scattered programming, talk radio, author, one thing that it all had in common was humor. Even in my programming days, I would write funny things in the comments and the code And when I did talk radio, I would try to make these very serious points that really got people thinking about 
how we can make the world a better place. And then people on social media would say, oh, you're just so funny. That's the only reason I listen. You're funny. So ultimately, that led me to a moment where I said, you know what, I I just I want to do comedy full time. And an interesting note is um, I wanted to do a stand up comedy career uh, tour, but no one in comedy had heard of me. So I couldn't get booked at clubs. So my best friend and I cold called theaters. We would go on Google Maps and literally type in Rent Theater Columbus, Ohio, cold called them, put down my personal credit card to rent them. We would have been in bankruptcy if I hadn't sold tickets and I'd never sold stand up comedy tickets to my fans. So I didn't know if this would work. And and I did an entire tour, 14 cities booked by me and my best friend on my personal credit card. Oh and uh, my God. Yeah, yeah, it was ter- most terrifying thing I've ever done by far. We had, we had maxed out our credit cards renting these theaters the night before I put tickets on sale. I was so terrified. So anyway, that so that was that was what really launched it. When I did that tour, 12 of the 14 stops sold out. It was a huge success. Um, and that's what really officially launched me into stand-up comedy was that tour. I love your story because, oh my goodness, and there's so many things I want to ask you about it, but my, actually my copywriter said to me, I remember at Christmas, um, we had uh, taken a massive risk and, and risk and launched a program and it had gone well for us, but not as well as I'd wanted it. And I'd said to her, oh my God, we failed so badly. And she said, but you know what, Kim, the reason why you're successful is because you take massive risks. And so therefore you have massive failures. And so therefore the learning is so great. You learn so much because you risk big, you fail big, you learn big, and then you move on. And it sounds like that's what happened with the booking of the theaters, although you did succeed but you put a lot on the line. So there was no way you were allowing yourself to fail. You were all in. Yeah, you were so right, Kim. And that is a great success story. And those are the stories that are so fun to hear about when you're all in, there's a massive risk and it pays off better than you could ever imagine. But let me tell you, and I know you would agree for every one story I have like that, I could tell you 10 stories of times I took a risk and it was either kind of meh, the results, or it was kind of embarrassing, really didn't work out that well. And I'm so glad you bring that up because it's so important for people to understand. I think for people like us, risk is a lifestyle. It's Mm -hmm. just what we do. we, We take risks over and over and over again to the point that it almost just becomes a habit. Yes, it's so true. And you know what? I want to go back and ask you. So I remember whenever you were talking about there in school about, you know, having been bullied and having a hard time in school, did you ever hear the story about Robin Williams saying about he became a comedian because he, he he was bullied whenever he was younger and he learned that if he made people laugh, he could defend himself by making people laugh. And actually, I've heard a couple of comedians say that. There's one, a guy over here who was a TV presenter, um, can't remember his name, but I remember seeing an interview with him and he said the same thing. He said, I was picked on mercilessly as a child and I realized if I made the bullies laugh that they would leave me alone. Do you think some of your comedy maybe came from that? Oh, that is such an interesting point. You know, I was not at that time, I was not quick enough on my feet to, to make the bullies laugh. Although I did see that. I saw that I it did improve my social standing when I could make people laugh. But you know what I think does play in is it's the narrative I told myself. I would go home and I would write in my journal and I would just laugh about the absurdity of it all. And so that is how I internalized it. I I processed it. I think in life with so many things that happen, you can laugh or you can cry, you Mm -hmm. know, and that was the way that I processed that and moved on and made sense of it was just to to just laugh at how stupid it all was. Mm -hmm. I know it's fantastic. You know what I loved most about your story? So I, I guess as soon as I started 
as soon as I started um, watching you, Michaela told me about you. And then I went on and I started watching your stories. And just the first couple of ones that I watched your little skits that you have on Instagram, you, I was like, oh my God, this woman teaches, or you were talking about everything that I always teach. I not teach, but I always talk about as well. I always say to mothers who are really, you know, punishing themselves over, they feel, they feel they're failing and they're not doing a good job. I'm like, listen, sweetheart, even whenever your mother was a child, or whenever your mother was younger and you were a child, she had her sisters and her aunt and her friends and nobody was working and they had this network. Yep work of support. You don't have that today. So like stop, put down the impossible standards, you know, let Peppa Pig babysit your children. It's fine. (laughs) And you were literally saying it all. And I was like, I love that. Tell us a little more about your feelings around that and why that comes up in your comedy. Oh, I, I just dealt with so much guilt when I was in the midst of six babies in eight years. And again, being an only child, I did not come from a culture where women had a lot of kids. I don't think I ever had a friend who had more than one sibling who was living at home at the time that I knew them. So this was not my culture. So I was holding myself up to these crazy standards. I don't even know where I heard some of that. I guess it was the blogs that were popular when I first started having kids. I'd beat myself up all the time. But then I remembered in college, I studied historical anthropology. That was originally my major. So I spent a lot of time in college doing deep dives into human civilizations throughout the ages. And it started to dawn on me how utterly unlike what women have ever dealt with, my experience was living in the American suburbs with my children. I thought, you know, I I would read about these tribes, the Pacific Islanders. And I remember we, we did a whole intensive course on some Pacific Islanders in the 1900s. And these women, like you said, they had their aunties were around and their grandma might live with them and she would hold the baby while the woman went out and and got the yams that they ate and and cooked them. And the day to day child care was very much a community effort. And I remember I'd been thinking about this. And one day I went to a play date. And it was one of those awkward interactions because none of us really knew each other. We'd never been around each other. We, we just met on some neighborhood forum. So we got together and this woman told a story of how her husband travels a lot. And she just said this very casually. She said, um, yeah, the other day when Bob, whatever her husband's name was, was out of town, she said, I got the stomach flu and the kids got the stomach flu and her kids were three and one. And she said, I was throwing up all day. I was throwing up all night, you know, changing the kids' sheets, changing my sheets, like could not even see straight. I was so sick. And this went on for 48 hours and they had just moved to town. She had no support system. Her husband was out of town. She is vomiting like so sick. She's delusional for 48 hours. Didn't didn't have any friends who are close enough that you can call them at three o'clock in the morning to come clean up vomit. Every woman at the play date laughed as if this is just an absolutely normal experience. Like, oh, girl, haven't we all been there? And I had this huge aha moment where I said to myself, like, no, ladies, we are not supposed to live this way. That is unnatural. Your great, great grandmothers would be horrified to hear this story. Mm -hmm. This is a, a terribly difficult thing you are doing being the sole entertainer, the the sole childcare provider for your kids 24-7 is utterly unnatural. And yet we don't know it's unnatural because that's what everyone does in our culture. And I think when you have that aha moment and you realize, yeah, we have a lot of uh, electronic, you know, modern uh, modern technology conveniences that make parenthood a lot physically easier than it was a couple hundred years ago, but it is psychologically much harder 
because we have no support system and that that is not how people were meant to raise kids. Mm -hmm. I agree. I 100% agree. And it's, it's, I think that there's such an impossible standard that women put on themselves these days. And that we're so far removed from the way, you know, they, there's, everyone knows that it takes a village to raise a child, but really it's, you know, we're, we don't have that village anymore. It's gone, but yet we have all these impossible standards that we put on ourselves and we're so hard on ourselves. But what, what caused that then? Like, how did that inspire your comedy? Like, did you realize that whenever you talked about it, women, women like to actually, I want to ask you a question before I, before I ask that one, one thing I have found in my teaching, because I would use humor a lot in my teaching because I deliver a lot of hard information, like sweetheart, you're eating too much. You're exercising Uh too little. You need to shut that big fat hole in the front of your face. (laughs) Do you know what I mean? (laughs) And so I am like, you know, and so I deliver something really, really hard to them. And then I, and then I make them laugh. And so you deliver really hard information and you make them laugh. And so they, they love you for it because they don't feel that you're, you're punishing them. So where did you, where did you, how did it happen that you took a difficult emotional subject like that and turned it into comedy for women? When did you realize that was something that women needed to hear? Yeah, this is a great example of just put yourself out there, keep doing things. It actually goes back to what we were talking about, about taking risks Mm -hmm. and your path will be made clear. I'm the kind of person who would like to just sit on my couch and think about it and wait to take action until I know that I have the perfect plan that can't fail. Uh, But that doesn't work. And so what happened was I'd been doing social media sketches because of COVID. So this is also an interesting backstory. After the success of my my first tour, I quit my day job. I had a national talk radio show every day, benefits for my whole family, for my family of eight, provided benefits for us all. And I quit that job to do stand-up comedy touring full-time right as lockdown began. So my income hit zero. And and then I thought, well, we'll just have lockdown. I'll be back to touring in a couple of months. And so that was a huge, that was a massive setback for me that how two weeks to flatten the curve. Yeah. (laughs) Right. That didn't, didn't work out like I thought. Yeah. And I had just quit my job and the whole business model was touring. So that, that was pretty rough, but so I decided to connect with my fan base by taking my comedy and turning it to social media. I thought, okay, I can't get up on a stage, but I do have my iPhone and I can sit here and I can make a video and I can post it on social media. But I I will admit, I was a little lost about what I was supposed to be doing because when you do stand-up comedy, you have the audience's immediate feedback. Mm -hmm. You can riff if something is going well. And so I felt very lost putting myself out there on social media. But what I did is I I set a series of deadlines and I said, I will post comedy content once a week. It doesn't matter if I think it's great. It, I, it just doesn't matter. I'm doing it once a week. And every week I, I was so tempted not to do it because I didn't have an idea that I loved. And so the first time that I had something go viral on the topic of women not having a village, I did not think it was good enough to post. It was a hair tutorial. I don't know if that's the one you saw, but I was doing a hair tutorial about how to how to make your hair look good. Oh, you should see that one. So but people actually liked it because it does it does show you some good we're hair. We're gonna tips. link to it in so, the show notes. Okay, great. So we'll so, so yeah. we're gonna link to that in the show notes. You have to understand my mindset. I was like the whole time, I'm like, this is terrible. People are going to make fun of me, they're going to unsubscribe, they're going to say this is stupid. And so I was saying, so I started it like a real tutorial. I said, hold the iron vertically. Uh, let's say I said, I said, first you take your curling iron 
and you say, I will not feel guilty about using this time. And as I showed women, it, it actually does show you how to do cool things with your hair. I went on this whole rant about how if you want to put your kids in front of Netflix, in front of Amazon Prime Video, whatever it is, to let them just sit there and watch videos while you play around with your hair, you are absolutely justified in doing this because you don't have the support system you need. It was this whole rant. So when I finished it, I thought I shouldn't post. This is too much for people that, you know, no, no one's going to like this. But because I'd made that commitment, I just hit publish. And then I remember I went to take a nap. I was like, everyone's going to hate this. I'll have a bunch of hater comments saying it's stupid. So I went to take a nap. And I woke up and it just blew up. It was like in an hour, I'd already had more shares than anything I'd ever posted on Instagram. Everyone was talking about it. That and then another later sketch I did on a similar theme ended up getting all sorts of news coverage, international news coverage. I mean, like Newsweek, Good Morning America, Today Show, CNN, wild. And so first of all, it's a good lesson in just keep putting yourself out there. I had plenty of sketches on the other hand that bombed that nobody cared about. I only did that because I'd promised myself I would put something out there. I thought that that subject was too nerdy. I thought that my historical anthropology stuff was going to be not something anyone wanted to hear about, but I did that one and it took off. And then I kept doing sketches on that subject and I kept getting an enormous amount of positive feedback on it. And that's really how I found it, how I found it, at least in terms of social media what kind of content people really want from me. And, and I didn't know that until I just put that stuff out there. Do you not think it's because we grew up with so many rules? I mean, I don't send my kids oh. to school. And so, and we don't have any rules. We live by principles. We do a thing called radical unschooling. We live by principles, not by rules. So, you know, I got up last night to go for a pee at quarter to two in the morning and I saw my son's light was still on. He's nine, he's nearly 10. And I opened his door to make sure he hadn't fallen asleep with the light on. And he was still sitting at his computer playing with his other homeschooled friend. And I was like, I said, sweetie, you want to go to bed? And he was like, what time is it? I said, it's 1.45. And he was like, oh yeah, I'll go brush my teeth. I'll go now. And I was like, okay, night. And I gave him a kiss and I went back to bed. That's normal in my house that my nine-year-old would still be awake at 1.45 AM. And he brushes his teeth, baths himself and puts himself to bed. Though they're very, very resourceful. But so we don't live by rules. We don't live by, we don't have any of that. But do you not think that there's a lot of scaremongering? I'm not here to bash schools, but a lot of scaremongering I find comes from schools where schools are like, don't let your children play video games and don't have too much screen time and don't do this. And don't, they're all about, you know, you know, and I, and I, it's one of the things actually, no, I'm going to have a rant about school. It's one of the things that drives me insane about school. I'm like, it's never mind that in school, it's like, especially when they're really young, it's, you know, it's controlled and conformed and, and whatever. And then, then they come home from school and then school invades your home life too. Now you have homework and you shouldn't be watching screen time and you have all of these rules to follow when you're home. And I'm like, fuck you, you know, really? Right. Like, leave me alone. <laughs> this is my private home. I can do whatever the fuck I want with my children. I don't know why I'm saying fuck, because I say fuck all the time on this podcast. In fact, I have a real potty mouth, but um, I, I, so, oh my God, this is such a juicy subject. I just love talking to you about it. Do you, do you not find that women just have so many rules and they just want someone to give them permission, just permission yes. to rest, yes. permission to have some me time, permission to oh. be imperfect, Yes, 100%. And by the way, we always homeschooled all six of our kids. So this mm -hmm. year for the first year, they decided they wanted to try going to school. And we had always said, you don't have to be homeschooled. If you want to yeah. try school, you can. One of my so kids has gone to school as well. My second son, yeah. he's 14. He started school last eight weeks before term ended and he's going back again next week. Yep. Very, very similar. And our I kids feel like a failure ages. as a mother. Yeah, so, and and we, we were also the <laughs> same thing that we, I mean, my kids would stay up all hours. And I used to think, well, I need to make sure that they're in bed at a certain time. And then I thought, 
Why? Why? We're a family of night owls. Every single person in this house naturally gravitates to a later schedule. Why? Like where, where is it written that we can't have a, you know, 1 a.m. school starts at 10 a.m. Why, why can't we do that? And so I, I have a very similar mindset that whenever someone tries to put a rule on me, I think, well, why? I, I'll follow the rule if there's a point to it, if mm-hmm. it matters, but why? Well, and that it's was different very, between rules yeah. and ethics. That's what I always yeah, teach in this podcast. I always say if, yeah. the, if there's, there's, there's rules based on fear and there's rules based on ethics. Rules based on fear are the rules, the arbitrary rules that you, you must go to bed by 8 p.m. You must do this. You must do this. Well, why? Like what's going to happen I, if, you know, if we don't? And so whenever someone tries to enforce a rule on my kids or on me or says, well, you should do this, I always say, well, what's the ethic underneath the rule? Like we should stop at traffic lights because if we don't, we may kill someone or we may crash into another car. There's an ethic underneath it, which is safety. But if there's fear underneath the rule, I'm always asking like why, what's the fear or what's the ethic? Exactly. And that's what I've been trying to tell moms. I did another, another comedy sketch I did that did well is I was ranting about screen time studies and saying that these, this is, they're really not that compelling. They really don't show that there is any problem with screen time. And so I went on that whole thing of like, people are making moms think that if their kids watch more than an hour of screens per day, their brains are going to melt. And, and there's just no basis for this. No. And meanwhile, the, the people who put that guilt on you and say, oh, they're, they're clutching their pearls. Like you let your kids watch two hours of screens today. I can't imagine what I want to say is, are you sending that woman a nanny? Are you sending that woman a chef and a housekeeper so that she can do every single thing she needs to do? Because when we live without a village community that, by the way, 99.9% of women in human history had, if you look at the total of human history, they always raise their children in tribes and village communities. And when you don't have that, you are literally doing the job of 30 people, Mm -hmm. not only in terms of childcare, food prep, things like that. But think about this, that in order to form your kids to be the kind of people that you hope they turn out to be, in a village model, maybe your your really strong auntie is the one who models what it means to be a strong woman for your daughters. And then you have a brother who's really laid back and he provides that balance of maybe sometimes it's it's time not to fight and to let it go. You have all these different role models. Well, in this day and age, it's all you. You have to be the role model of 30 different types of people. You have to be the strong one, the patient one, the kind one, the spiritual one. You have to be all of this to your kids. And it is utterly exhausting. And I have not found much of a better way for women who can't afford a chef and a nanny and a chauffeur and everything else they need. Honestly, I think that screens are a great way Mm -hmm. to let your kids zone out for a little while so you can get the break you need. And and people who try to put those rules on women based on absolutely bunk studies that have very little basis to them when you lift the when you lift the hood on them, it just drives me crazy. And I think it's making women much more miserable miserable being mothers and then making young women who are thinking about parenthood thinking well I can't do that you know maybe maybe a woman like you has a career that's shaping up like yours that she's really excited about and she thinks well if I have even one kid I'm going to have to shut all this down to spend 12 hours a day following these arbitrary rules and so I'm here to say no that is not the case 90% of these rules that you're hearing about don't matter at all and are based on nothing and you can live your life with your family and have a good time and give yourself a break. Oh my God. I just, you know, you've actually just reminded me of um, 
I was going to say, I think I do this naturally. And I really want you to go into what you've learned before, before. but we have two women, two mothers who work for me actually in, in one's a director level, one's a manager level in my company. And they both got pregnant at the same time. And they were both like, oh my God, you know, cause they don't, they weren't expecting to be pregnant and they were a bit like worried about it and, and not worried, but how's it all going to work and whatever. And I was like, no, no, it's totally fine. You'll get like full maternity pay for like, for the full six months. Like I'm not docking your wages. You know, you'll, if you need a nanny to be able to come back to work, okay, we'll find you a nanny and the company will pay for your nanny and then you can do your job from home and the nanny can support you. And they were like, where did you come from? And I'm like, wow, if I support you, you support me and you support my people and it benefits my company. You know, like we're a family. I'm going to, I'm not going to, you know, just because you're not going to have a baby, which is a wonderful thing. You know, the company will support you and your baby and your family. And how would we not? Like, it's so, um, it's so natural for me to do that. But I think it's because you know, maybe I've lived this lifestyle, but I want you to go into it, Jen, a little bit more. Do you mind? Like, tell us a little bit more about how women were supposed to live compared to yes. how we live now. Well, first of all, imagine. So uh, imagine a woman who lived in a village, well, let's say a thousand years ago. She was, so first of all, and I'm thinking of, again, the, the anthropological studies we did when I was in college. So first of all, one of the things that the women would do is they would they would gather food and water together and they would do let's say they would take the the clothes and the washing they had to do down to the river together so first of all your daily tasks were done in community with other women so imagine i am and i actually i had a long conversation with a woman whose mother was uh, from thailand so this is i'm in particular thinking now of of her, the small Thai village she lived in, in a very rural area. And she said, yeah, Jen, you're exactly right with what you've been talking about. And she said, "My so my mom would go down with all the other women from the little village she lived in. They would walk together down to the water and then they would wash the, the clothes together. So first of all, imagine doing that. You, you can join the mm -hmm. conversation if you want, or you can kind of hang back and listen. And think about what they also got there. They got information flow. That is yet another thing that we are lacking mm -hmm. in modern culture. That let's say you have a kid that you're looking at this kid and wondering, okay, is this just a quirky phase mm -hmm. that we will look back and laugh at? Or does this kid have a real problem? And we will look <laughs> back and weep that this was the first signs that yeah. we had a serial killer in our is house. Is this normal? I mean, you're asking right, yourself. Yeah, is this yeah. normal? I mean, I think every parent, especially if you have strong-willed, intense, smart kids, mm -hmm. every parent has had the moment, probably with every one of their kids, where they look at them and say, is this kid actually clinically insane? <laughs> <laughs> or are they just very quirky? Right. And when you have that village information flow, if you're down at the river with 30 other women from your village, you can talk to the, the older lady who has kids who are now adults and ask, did any of your kids ever go through this phase? Or you, you'll hear the uh, a sort of healthy gossip about, yeah, remember that one kid who acted like this? Well, now he has turned out like this. Mm -hmm. You get this great information flow. And, and again, you're not doing your work in utter isolation. And then meanwhile, you have the, the teens of the village, the, the kids in their late teens, maybe early twenties, a lot of times it would be the girls and they would walk around with the younger kids. So mm -hmm. they would sort of play the, the teens. They would get their own information flow, kind of talking about who's single, what this guy's doing, what this girl's doing. And they would watch the younger kids of the village play. And then there were the elderly people who couldn't really engage in the food prep, the clothes washing, things like that. And often the grandmas and grandpas, they would either hold the babies or do other sort of work that, that didn't 
require such such physical activity, then the women would go gather water together. If there was a problem, they would work it out together. And again, notice how the typical woman, the typical mom in this setup, she didn't necessarily know what her kids were doing at every minute of the day. And in fact, probably didn't have eyes on them for a lot of the time because the village was handling that. Mm -hmm. And even to use a, a more modern example, my grandfather, a wonderful man, God rest his soul, he was born in 1914. And so he remembers life before electricity, before cars. <laughs> he remembers when he saw his first airplane. And I, I had a great wealth of knowledge from him. And even though his mother did not raise them in a village, they were farmers. So she lived out on a farm. He said, yeah, my mama didn't see me all day long. She would kick us out of the house and we knew to come back when the dinner bell rang. And these days, imagine kicking your kids out of the house and telling them they can't back. My parents back. used to do that with us. Yeah. I know. We'd be in jail yeah. if we did that, Kim. We would be in jail. Child if abuse. We told you would have the kids. Child Protection Agency oh, yeah. at your door because someone oh, would report sure. you. <laughs> For sure. And so that's even in more recent eras. And and my mom, she lived in the suburbs in, in Pennsylvania when she was growing up, but it was sort of the same thing. They would come home, drop their backpacks in the house, and then they would get on their bikes and they'd ride around the neighborhood until, and, and the rule, and even when I was a kid too, the rule was when the streetlights come on, when the mm -hmm. streetlights come on, you have to come home. We can't do that now. So not only do we not have the information flow, not only do we not have the community support, not only are we expected to, to have uh, know what our kids are doing at every minute of every day, which again is actually very unnatural. Now we can't even let them go roam around outside. So that what we're supposed to be like in a prison 24 seven, eyes on our kids being entertainment director. And that, that's another thing I've been talking about. Women weren't meant to be the primary entertainers yeah of their kids. If you feel like it is a little boring to sit down with your two-year-old and play blocks, look, I know these are sweet moments and we need to make sure we have tender, sweet moments with our kids. They're really lovely. But if you feel like your brain is melting after minute two of playing shapes and colors with a two-year-old, that is because women in human history never did this. The other kids in the village would entertain your kids. You're not meant to be the 24 seven entertainer of your kids. And so when you contrast this, imagine the farm women who didn't see their kids during the day and the village women who also didn't see their kids and had this rich source of information and entertainment. You realize how utterly unnatural this is, what we are trying to do raising kids in the modern era. Yeah. And do you think you became so passionate after you had your own? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Because I, of course we want what's best for our kids. We want to be great moms. And I felt the sense of failure every day. I I would get frustrated and and I and I wouldn't be able to entertain my kids 24-7. I, you know, I tried to do the blocks and I tried to do the puzzles, but I was so overwhelmed with the fact that I'm cooking dinner alone. I'm my mm -hmm. husband, super helpful, wonderful, supportive man. But at the time he was starting a business, so he just simply was not available. And so yeah, I'd, I'd have to do all this stuff alone. I was so maxed out, so exhausted. And I blamed myself. Mm -hmm. And that's the thing, Kim, that if, if at the end of my career, I look back, I don't care how much money I made. I don't care what else comes out of this. I really think that if I can just say at the end of my career that I got a few more moms to stop blaming themselves, to stop thinking that the problem is you and realize, no, the problem is that you are living in very unnatural circumstances 
then I feel like that's a success because that's really at the heart of my mission is to tell moms, if this feels really hard, the problem is not you. The problem is that you are living in very unnatural circumstances. Do you think it's that you had six kids? And the reason why I'm asking this is because I know with my first one, I definitely suffered from perfect mom syndrome. And I was like, I was following the Gina Ford contented baby routines where, you know, he and he was woken at certain times and he went to, because I'm a real perfectionist. So when I was like, well, when I have this baby, I'm going to make sure. Oh yeah, we're doing it right. We're doing it right. right. You know, I was like cooking and pureeing organic food and Uh cubing it and everything was perfect and controlled. And then Kai came along very quickly afterwards. And, and so I tried to do the same thing for him, but unfortunately I didn't have enough time to, to, to break his will in the way that I did with Corey, because I still had Corey to attend to and he was only 16 months. So I had to kind of give up halfway through. So Kai realized that if he made just enough of a problem, he got what he wanted. And so I stopped even like, I just started giving him what he wanted. And then Maya came along very quickly afterwards and she was kind of dragged up. And then when Jack arrived, like <laughs> in five years, off. Jack, like whatever Jack wanted, Jack got. Jack wanted to eat oatmeal for four months for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. I was like, just give him the oatmeal. Just give him the yeah. fucking oatmeal. Don't even yeah, argue. Just give right. it to him. She knows her main course now. We don't care anymore. <laughs> yeah, we don't care anymore. Jack Jack was never put in a crib. He was like, he he was like, I'm not sleeping in there. I was like, just put him in the bed, in the yeah. bed. And then they all wanted to come in. So we made, we had an 18 foot bed. If you Google Kim Constable bed, my bed went viral around the world many times. What? We slept in an 18-foot bed because honestly, Jen, I'm sure you had the same thing. I had four under five, well, four under six then. Corey turned six shortly afterwards, but they, everyone needed something in the middle of the night. Someone needed water, someone needed food, someone needed, someone had a bad dream, someone needed to pee. And so they were in and you got back into bed, you fell asleep and then someone else came in and then they were out and then someone else was in. So in the end, I was like, just get them all in here and you get the fuck out to my husband. (laughs) You leave, leave me alone with my children and then we will all sleep. I moved them all into an 18-foot bed and we slept that way for the next five years. And it was wonderful. To solve the problem. See, that is your great. entrepreneurial can do spirit. See, you think outside of the box. Other people would say, well, there's not room in the bed. So you get an 18 foot bed. I could not love or that. But they more. have That's the amazing. rules. People were like, yeah. oh, but you're going to ruin your children. I'm like, I'm willing to take that chance for just a little bit of sleep. Right. <laughs> right. No, I, I don't know what's going to happen in 18 years, but I know what's going to happen right now. Like I, I tell stories in my podcast of me. So people are like, how did you manage to, you know, build the business and, and raise your children at the same time. And I'm like, seriously, sweetheart, there were many times I'm pointing because I'm home. You, know, you can see there are many times that I sat out in a little sunroom we have off the back living room. I sat there and I sank two beers quickly. Like literally I was alone by myself in the house. I was like two beers. I went in there. I was like, ooh, ooh, ooh. this is around, you know, 5 PM coming into the witching hour. And then I, you would hear mommy, where are you? And I'm like, as long as they're not crying, they're safe. And I would get the next one and I would sink it yep. too. And after two beers, happy mommy arrived. Two beers <laughs> and, I, and an 18 foot bed. Please yes. make that the title of your parenting book. And happy mommy then did bath time and bedtime and story time. And at this point, like I always just say people, it's so emotionally difficult to raise children. Like it's physically, we can do it, do the work. Cause it's about, oh my God, the emotions that you have to go through are insane. Oh. And so I guess my point is, do you not think that if you only had a, had one child or two children, I think this is almost the problem. People are only having one or two children. So they're, they're able to keep a semblance of control and not completely lose their sanity. But once you kind of go into the four five, six number, you begin to realize not much matters and there's not really right. a lot you can fuck up. <laughs> right. Just... right. Well, and you definitely see I, w- one big advantage of having so many kids is you really see 
how little your parenting matters. I remember yes. my, my first child's talked very early. He was an outrageously early uh, talker. I, I gave myself full credit. And I had uh, the other moms who tried to tell me, teach your baby sign language. I was like, why teach them sign language when you can just teach them words? Here's what I do. I point at an object and I tell the kid to say it and he says it. It's super easy. Why aren't you guys doing this? And then I had other kids and I'm like, oh, okay. So he just genetically was an, he was a late walker, but he was an early talker. And then I had some who were the opposite that they would just walk really easily, but they were a little bit later on talking. I, I have some kids to this day. I don't know how they are alive with what they eat. I have been fighting the food that one of my kids, though, actually you'd be proud of her. She decided that she was vegetarian, basically vegan at age three. Who does? She, she never heard this stuff as far as I knew. She just decided this at age three. Unfortunately, she's not a healthy vegetarian. It's like she eats pasta and pasta and pasta. And Oops. I can't think of anything else. Carbohydrates She's, are very yeah. good for building. Muscle. Well, she is killing it on that. <laughs> and and but then I have other kids. They are voracious. They'll eat everything. They'll try sushi. They'll try the uh, steak tartare. You know, they'll try everything. And I used to give myself credit for that because my first two mm -hmm. ate a wide variety of foods. Well, that's because of my parenting. I'm, well, when you do it the right way, you know, and then of it, course. Just, I realize it has nothing to do with anything, whether they sit still and are quiet or they're, they're, you know, they have a nice temperament that has nothing to do with me. Nothing. I have six very different personalities, very different struggles. And I, I mean, I'm just starting to think like, uh, have I had any impact on that trip? If I've, if I've I'm had feeling any you. I'm but, feeling but I will you all say, I feel for our friends who have one and two children because, as an only child, and as I have many friends who have one and two children, you, there's a higher bar. My friend who has one child, she's like, Yeah, Jen, you don't understand. When you have one kid, everyone expects that you have them in the perfect activities. They had better be dressed perfectly. If they show up to school in mismatching socks, you have no excuse because you only have one kid. Right. But with us, you had four babies right in a row. I had six right in a row. The fact that they had anything that resembled clothes on, you know, <laughs> I, I'd send them to a little, even when they were homeschooled, I would do like a little Mother's Day out thing for the little ones because that toddlers I, I've never understood and I never will. No. And they would show up with, you know, one shoe and the preschool teachers who knew that I had like two babies at home and another one, another toddler, they would think, you know, well, one out of two shoes, you know, 50%, like that ain't bad. Whereas I think if that had been my only child, they might've expected a, a little higher standard of that. It's true. But, you would have been yeah. judged for sure. Right. Yeah. Right, right. And you know, I, I think probably something you found too is our kids entertain each other. So there, yes. there wasn't as much of an expectation by the kids that I would keep them amused all day, every day, because they, they had each other. They sort of ran around the house in a herd. So, mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. my kids who just have one or two kids or their, their kids are spaced further apart they sort of have feel like they have to be entertainment director all the time. Yeah, I get it. Our kids, our house is chaos all the time. Like we just oh, had yeah. a new bathroom put in and and my stepdad was doing the bathroom and it took a bit longer than he thought because they were trying to build something and whatever. And, and he kept like apologizing. He's like, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. It must be an absolute nightmare. And I was like, dad, we live in chaos. It's literally oh, yeah. like, don't get me wrong. We have a housekeeper. We have a chef. My house is very organized and clean and tidy all the time. And, but it's still, there's a lot of people. There's always friends here. There's a housekeeper. There's a chef. There's gardeners come every day. There's, you know, workmen coming to do the bathroom. There's deliveries arriving. My assistant arrives in and out every day to pick stuff up and collect lunches. And it's just chaos. And I said to him, we don't really notice, to be honest, as long as there's a toilet and a sink. And even when there wasn't for three weeks, we just use the downstairs because we have one bathroom for six, for six people. And let me tell you, that keeps you very close as a family. You see far yes. too much of each other. Yes. Um, oh, 
Can, can I jump in with something? Yeah. I'm sorry. This is now I'm interviewing you because you're no, so fascinating great. to me. Can I just say, and I think I'm speaking for a, a lot of your many fans. I love it that you are so open about the support system you have that you, right. some people wouldn't say that, that they have a housekeeper and a chef. And when I've listened to your podcast, that is like music to my ears, even though it is not in my budget to have a chef. And I have a housekeeper who comes every other week and that's about all we can do right now. So even though I'm, I'm getting, hoping, you know, maybe my next comedy special, I'll be having all that. But even as someone who is not able to have everything you have right now, I do have a nanny and I'm also open about that. And, and I'm also open about the fact that especially with touring not being what it was because of lockdowns, that absolutely maxes out our budget. Like we don't really have the budget for a nanny, but she was with us back, you know, back before my, my income took such a big hit and we have made massive sacrifices to keep her. And what I want to say to people listening, and this goes back to what we were talking about a moment ago, when you think of your goals, your long-term goals for your family budget, I think that everyone needs a village portion of their budget. Right now we have this crazy idea that only celebrities have things like chefs or a driver or um, or what, like if your kids went to school and had, it might help you to have a driver to yeah. help them go around. My housekeeper takes my son and to school every day. Yeah, okay, so there you go. Mm -hmm. And right now we think of it like, what are you, a Kardashian? You know, what are you, you're like, your net worth is like a billion dollars. You're a billionaire because you have all this stuff. But I think what people need to understand is nobody has infinite money. I mean, we all have to make trade-offs. Mm -hmm. And what our family has chosen to do is, so we still live in a small house like you. So we, we don't have the small bathroom situation, but we live in Texas in a three bedroom, 1900 square foot house. And mm -hmm. to give you an idea in Texas, normally a family, my size, we have massive houses around here would have a, a, a house three times as big as the one that we have that we have. We're known for our massive houses in, mm -hmm. in my part of the world. And, um, but we have chosen to have a smaller house and that allowed us to, to get that mortgage payment down more quickly so that we could have room for a village in the budget, meaning housekeeping, nanny, things mm -hmm. like that. And I really want families to start thinking about this. And obviously it's maybe not a change you can make tomorrow, but as you think of your long-term financial plan, think if you were to, if your income were to go up, do you really need to buy that McMansion, that, that bigger house, or should you maybe try to make the house that you're in work and get a nanny or mm -hmm. get a chef? Think of how that would change your life. If you had a chef who had healthy meals ready for you and your family every day or a few days a week. Is it and and by the way, there are no right and wrong answers. I have friends who did chose who did choose to get the McMansion and they love it and they're happy with that choice. I'm just proposing that that is an option on the table of don't upgrade the car, don't upgrade the house, don't buy the boat if you're in a position that you might be able to do that. Instead, get a chef, get a driver, get a nanny, replace that village that you were designed to need but probably don't have. Yeah, do something for you. I think is the yeah. you know thing. Mine came out of necessity. You know, I remember whenever I started the business, I I was I was determined I was going to start the sculpted vegan, and I started training as a bodybuilder. And I remember saying to my husband, um can we afford like a nanny? Like, you know, could we afford like a housekeeper? And I said, you know, because I wasn't working at the time, I was a yoga teacher. Um, and actually, let me tell you another story quickly of what happened. So I remember I was a yoga teacher at the time and I was teaching yoga. I had a private yoga studio up here in my house and I used to teach about 14 hours yoga a week. And that would have given me about 400 pounds in cash, which is about just $550, say $600 a week in cash. And I employed 
um, we had always had a nanny because it was important to me. She actually was Chinese. So we always had a Chinese nanny. My kids, kids speak fluent Mandarin Chinese. And so it was important for me for them to have a language. And that's why we wanted. So we employed um, Sharan and she is she worked 40 hours a week. So she worked nine to five Monday to Friday and her wage was 400 pounds a week in cash. And so I used to go upstairs and teach yoga for 14 hours a week. And then people would pay me. And I remember one day and it never occurred to me um, how that, you know, what was happening, whatever. But I, I remember one day people paid me in advance and I had like 1200 pounds cash and I can't, and I thought, Oh, why do I have this money? I'm just going to give it to Sharan now. So I went downstairs and I gave it to Sharan. I said, there's three weeks wages in advance. And she was like, Oh, thank you very much. You know, it's great. And whenever, and then I suddenly went, I'm, I'm, I'm literally working just to pay Sharan. Like I, yeah. there's no other reason. <laughs> That I'm working. I was like, I'm working three hours every morning. I'm exhausted. And I, you know, doing all this teaching and I'm literally just working to pay Sharan. So that was the first time that I thought maybe I could change things around a little bit. So um, I reduced, but anyway, that was, that was when I realized I reduced her hours actually. And then I started doing a little more myself and I started, but, but I, she still worked the mornings, but instead of, because I reduced her hours, I didn't have to pay her as much. I didn't have to teach as much yoga. So I started taking some of the time that I was using to teach yoga and plugging it into building my business. So I, I still had the best of both worlds. I still had her there to help with the kids and help with the laundry and help around the house. But I started using the time productively in the business. And people always say to me, how did you do it? I'm like, I got help. And they're like, what do you mean you got help? I'm like, I paid help. Well, well I can't afford to pay help. And I'm like, go work at McDonald's for a couple of hours and use that money to pay someone to come in and look after your kids in the evening so you can work. And they're yes, like, 100%. oh, really? I'm like, you need to find time and you can't do it you know, if you don't have time, like I get up at 4am most mornings. And so I work from four till seven, just to whenever the business is really busy, but you have to make the time you can't, you know, and but to go back to what we were talking about, you have to hire somebody. And so the minute I could afford to, I hired Lorraine, the business started making a little bit of money. And then I hired Lorraine, my housekeeper. I only hired her for four hours. This Sharan, then she had to leave. She's still with us now. She just comes and works twice a week teaching the kids, but she left. And then I hired, hired Lorraine and I, I could only afford to, to, to hire her from 10 a.m. to 1 p.m. And that's all I could afford at the time. But I had her from 10 a.m. to 1 p.m. Do you know what that bought me, Jen? 15 hours a week. Oh, 15 hours a week. Priceless. It was insane. I would come home and the house would be tidy and the kids would be fed and the ironing would be done and the laundry was done. She managed oh. to get all that done in three hours. And which then freed up my afternoon so I could take the kids to tennis or spend some time with them or just lie and watch television, which I did yes. sometimes, you know, and, but you have to, you're right. And then, and then our village just built from there. And now we literally like, I'm wondering whether you can hear the commotion behind me, people coming and going and in and out and round about. We have that village now and it does make an enormous difference to your life. I, I, let me ask you a question. Do you ever find people who kind of don't want that village? You're like, oh, well, I don't really. Yes. Think would well, want yes. And yes. And, and I understand why. And so, uh, so often I've had conversations with women who say, Jen, I, I don't, I don't live in luxury like you do. I, I could never afford this. And I think, what do you think my budget, <laughs> I quit my job to do stand-up comedy touring. Like, yeah, what do you think my, you think Instagram pays me to do these videos? Like, look, I, I'm struggling like the rest of us. And, and so I'll say, well, well, let's talk about it. it. Are you really sure you couldn't have any help? And, and especially like just a teen girl in the neighborhood, start right. with that, you know, maybe yes. someone who's just for a, you know, even in my neighborhood here in Texas, you could probably get a teenager $8 an hour. Maybe, maybe there's some people who are truly in situations. They couldn't do $16 a week for a couple hours a week, but I, most people could find the budget. Like you said, get a side hustle yourself mm -hmm. just so that you can pay for the help. What I find more often 
is that they're overwhelmed by that prospect. And I get it. I get it uh, that there there are just so many embarrassing moments in my in my house. Like one time um, this was a this was a real special moment. I had a new babysitter come over this woman. I I guess I'd found her on on one of those websites where you can hire babysitters. And I was trying to be a real boss, you know, take control of my life, get some help that I needed. And this woman walked in. She very much disapproved of me having so many kids so quickly. That's not what she did, you know, in her parenting career. And just already disdain was on her face when she walked in the house. And she walked in and there was uh, one of the kids had peed on the couch. We were potty training one of them. It had just happened while I was answering the door. And the other kid's doll was face down in the urine on the couch with her little doll face, just right in the urine, the skid row dolly right there on the couch. This woman, she quit the next day. Uh, she just said, yeah, she and quit in disgust. I mean, told me that my house was a dumpster fire. She did not want to be part of it. She was one of those people who was all about the rules. Like I let my two-year-old have a pacifier, God forbid, who, by the way, has fine teeth now is like a teenager and doing fine. This woman, you would have thought I had handed that two-year-old a lit crack pipe when <laughs> I handed her that pacifier. So anyway, she quit. And, and, and so that is what everyone's afraid of. That's the worst case scenario that someone comes into your house and says, you people are animals. You're living like animals. This is a train wreck. I don't want to be part of it. And so you have to, there is a real ego thing that you have Mm. to get over where you say, look, it could happen. Someone could come in and they could judge me, but just know it's not worse than the full Weiler house, (laughs) whatever's going on in your house. My house was messier. And I had a friend, she hired babysitters. And she would spend an hour and a half just working herself to death, cleaning up her house before the babysitter came. And I said, look, don't like if this babysitter isn't cool with the way you really live, she's not the right babysitter for you. This is insane to get. I mean, it's one thing if it's a, a person who's never been there, they're just coming so you guys can go out for a date night. You know, you don't want them to be overwhelmed. But if this is a regular person who's coming to your house, they need to get used to the mess a little bit or else they're not the right fit for you. So, yeah, I'm so glad you bring that up that uh, make sure if you say you really, really can't get help, that this is not about you're overwhelmed and you're embarrassed about how you guys are living because it'll help you make your house a more sane place if you can get that help. And Kim, if I can just point out something from your story, you hired that help before you were making a significant income. And and I that is the right way to do it. So many people will say, well, okay, yeah, I'll wait until I have a, a hefty income and then I'll hire a nanny. Then I'll look for someone. But you probably won't be able to get there if you can't have that time for visioning and dreaming and having an uninterrupted thought, you know, mm-hmm. to, to, to build something exciting in your life, whether you're trying to make a lot of money or just paint some paintings, do something fulfilling to you. You have to have a few minutes with an uninterrupted thought. And if you're not getting that, then you need to make time for it now. Like like you said, even if you go work at McDonald's, go work at anywhere to be able to afford this. And then when you can get that time to sit down and have a couple hours to think and dream and plan, you will find that your income catches up to being able to afford that nanny. Where did, when did you, how did you become so, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, self-aware, I guess. Like that isn't, it isn't usual that people are self-aware. That's interesting. Maybe that goes back to the the bullying that 
I always, because I was always the new kid and I didn't have brothers and sisters and there was no one to back me up. I thought a lot about why do I still not have friends? <laughs> like, is it, is it the fact that I got this perm and let's be honest, it's a really bad perm. Is it the fact like, I'm, I'm very tall. I'm six feet tall. And, uh, you know, is it the fact that I'm so much taller than everyone else around me? And like, when I wear jeans, they, they all look like high waters. They all look like crop <laughs> jeans, even if they're not supposed to. And, and I think that that taught me self-awareness, just a lot of pondering why, why I couldn't fit in anywhere. That's so interesting. Yeah. And I guess that whenever, you know, we, we are the outliers, we do just learn to, to read people as well. Do you not think whenever I was younger, I was never, I never, I never really fit in anywhere. I wasn't part of the in crowd. I wasn't in school. Like, don't get me wrong. I was everyone's friend and I was accepted, but I went to boarding school at a very young age and had to learn to to fend for myself. I was only seven when I went to boarding school. I know. And then my parents think of that. Well, my parents, like, again, you just went, my my parents were like, you're going to boarding school. And they, my sisters and I went, they, my parents then divorced subsequently just after that. I only saw my mom once every two weeks from Saturday afternoon until Sunday evening. From I was and was like this in Ireland or where, where yeah was in Ireland board? yeah yeah eight wow. years of age so we would go to dad's one weekend and mom's one weekend so I became very um, I became very self reliant I guess um, but also then whenever I went to high school and I did live with my mom after that I I never I never really fit in anywhere and so I became really good and I, well here's the other thing I'd been in a quite a stressful situation and there's a lot of evidence to show that children who have had a lot of adversity in their young lives become very good at reading people. So a lot of adversity, especially if they've had a lot of fear, you know, a lot of control, you know, boarding school was, you know, a very um, controlled place, especially, you know, 40 years ago or 30 years, years ago, whenever I was there, 35 years ago, God, I'm old. And, um, and so I think that whenever you have adversity as a young child, you do become much better at reading people, reading situations, reading seeing patterns of behavior that other people don't. And when I listen to you, you know, it's not often that I have a chat with someone who really does have the level of awareness that you have. And it's lovely. It's really, really lovely. So I just wondered if you knew that you had it and you could like pinpoint how it happened or. (laughs) I'd never really thought of that. So thank you for pointing that out. That had never really occurred to me, but, but I do think you're right. I think it's because of adversity and, and, the, and I think same with you, you know, just the challenges that we went through in our young years. What are your plans for the future, Jen? What do you want to do ultimately with your comedy? Do you have a goal or are you just winging it and flying by the seat of your pants? <laughs> I, to some extent, I'm winging it. I, I'm in an industry that is undergoing just tectonic change right now as we all navigate COVID, lockdown, things like that. And I I think it comes back to, I know that I always want to speak to women. Uh, I will probably always speak to moms to some extent, even as my own life goes on and, and as my kids get older, I will never stop telling moms, it's not your fault. I will never stop telling moms that if this feels really hard, it's because it is hard. It's because you're living in a, a very unnatural situation. And, you know, you hear a lot of comics say, I just want to make people laugh. And that's actually, that's not exactly me. I, I, of course, I want to make people laugh. I want to be funny, but I want to make people's lives better. I want to relieve people's burdens. I I have multiple friends who are raising special needs kids who need 24 seven care. And right now they don't have the support to get that nighttime care. So they're waking up two hours a night, all night, 
and and looking at this indefinitely for the rest of their lives with with these special needs kids. And I think I want to relieve their burdens. And if that's through whether I do another comedy special, whether I'm being silly on social media, doing comedy tours and, you know, making sure that I, I do it in a way that they can attend. And maybe I, I would love to do things like offering some sort of scholarship or babysitting or support for say parents of special needs kids so that they can make it out to one of my shows and make it a night out and, mm-hmm. and help them get that support they need. Or even if your kids don't have special needs, just help moms get the support they need to make it a night out, to, to just have fun, to come on out. Um, that's really what I want to do. I love community building and I love just seeing women be happy and free. And so for me, comedy is a means to an end to get women together, to have us start forming our own villages and our own communities and to just start really letting go of the nonsense rules and loving our lives. Yeah, I love it. And you're modeling that as well for people. Like I see, I saw, saw your passport story the other day about your daughter. You're like, she now has a new birthday. So <laughs> only the full ones. We took all six kids down to the passport office. Oh, actually, here's what I didn't say on stories, Kim. Okay, so this daughter was <laughs> No, going, you're going to say it to a quarter of a million people, just so you know. Well, yeah, right, right, right. So, yeah, yeah. So your <laughs> listeners will, will get to hear that I was at the driver's license office because this daughter can get her learner's permit now. And so the guy said, he said, we said, that's not the right birthday. And he said, well, I can't change it on her official driver's license without documentation. I can't take your word for it. And I didn't think we had her birth certificate. So I had two choices. I could stand in this whole DMV, the driver's license office again, go get the right paperwork, scrap this whole thing that we'd taken hours to deal with, come back, or she could just have a new birthday on her driver's license. And I was seriously starting to say to the guy, look, does, and, and I told my daughter, I, I got, I got philosophical about it. I, I literally turned to my daughter and I said, time is a man-made concept. The calendar is, a, what even is time? This is the Gregorian calendar. I got all historical about the, the roots of the Gregorian calendar. What even is your real birthday? And finally, as I'm talking, she's like, mom, here's my birth certificate. We can use that. So we did, we did end up getting the right, birthday on the driver's license, but I was going to let my daughter have the wrong birthday on her driver's license so that I did not have to stand in the DMV line again because I am tired and I'm busy. (laughs) I have done that so many times. Do you know, we have told my kids on many occasions that their birthday is like, we've just changed their birthday to a Saturday. Yeah, there younger. you go. So, yes, yes. Yeah, their birthday's yep, a Thursday, but like, man, it's not really convenient to have it on a Thursday. Right. So right. we just pretended that Thursday wasn't actually their birthday. And um, whenever they were young or like five, six, seven, eight, they had no yeah. idea. We were just like, happy birthday. And, and that's the great thing about homeschool. Yeah, you can just move dates all the time. They don't know. <laughs> they didn't care. And people were like, and then my family were like, but that's that's wrong because it should be on their actual birthday. I'm like, she doesn't know. She doesn't yeah, care. Today's whatever. her birthday. Yeah. And yeah, then, yeah. Uh, th- then the bad thing is whenever it did actually then turn into Thursday, which was her actual birthday, we completely forgot. We didn't even think yeah. like, oh, you know, internally, this was the day she was born. Right. No, her birthday right. was Saturday. <laughs> that's when the party was. It's gone, yeah. you know. I think you have to give yourself permission to do that. But I think that modeling it in the way that you do, it's what's something I try to do in my business as well. It's why I'm so transparent about my Botox and fillers, which we had a whole conversation about before we went live. And, you know, my, my, my perfectly imperfect lifestyle. I think that you then give other women permission to be that way too, by simply modeling it. You're saying we all fuck up. Look, look at me. I'm over here fucking up publicly and you can all watch. In fact, you can have tickets for free. And then they go, well, Jen did it. 
And, you know, so maybe, maybe it's okay. Maybe this isn't such a bad thing after all, which is the village. I think that what you're actually doing is you're creating some kind of village publicly on social media in a way, because you're, 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 you know, someone else, they may not be asking you, is this okay? Have you ever done this before? But they see that you did it. I'm hitting my microphone. They see that you did it. And then they, they go, oh, something that ever happened to them. They go, well, I know this girl, I follow on social media and this happened to her and it was okay. And they might even send you a message and go, oh yeah, happened to me. This happened to you. Is this okay? And you'll be like, yeah, it's totally fine, girl. You know, rock on. You know, that's an interesting concept that if you if you go back to what we would have had if we actually lived in villages, you would have that intimacy. You'd if anyone who's ever lived in a small town knows, you know everybody's business. You mm-hmm. know that so and so has a they act like they have a perfect marriage, but it, they fight every day, and you, you just know all this stuff. And I think that's actually healthy because it helps you know if your problems are are normal, if right. you're normal. And right now, since we don't have that intimacy because we don't know anyone, we don't know that many people that well in real life who we see in person face to face every day, we lose that intimacy and therefore we lose that information flow. And I think, Kim, in a way, you and I sort of provide a service that it it is unnatural to be as open and intimate as Mm -hmm. we are on social media. That's not everyone's calling. It's not for everyone. And I get it. But I think that maybe some of us do have a sort of a special calling to be more open about the dumb things we do and the failures or the things like the Botox and the filler, which is awesome. And but a lot of people don't talk about because it gives you it gives our fans that village feeling of, you know, most people don't talk about this publicly. And that's so important because if you don't have that and you're only seeing people who are kind of doing the more formal positive button down side of themselves then you start to feel like everyone's perfect. Nobody yeah. You start to think that's normal. Like, yeah. Yeah. You're, you're the abnormal one. Right. Right. Exactly. And that is man living under that feeling that you're the only one going through this. You're the only one screwing up in this way. You're the only one making like your, the birthday thing reminded me, we, we had this list of rules for the tooth fairy for the, the tooth, tooth fairy, fairy that just added up. Like, yeah, we, well, the tooth fairy can't come on Tuesdays <laughs> and she can't come on the second Monday of the month. And she, and if you lost a tooth yesterday, then she can't come two days in a row. So right. <laughs> and just to know that you're not the only one who's done that just gives you such a sense of freedom. It's wonderful. I actually did a bit, an Instagram video the other week and I'm standing in the kitchen and I think I was a little bit drunk actually. And um, I think I definitely was drunk, not like plastered, but certainly yeah, I've done that uh, seven sheets to the, the wind yeah, yeah. as I like to do on Instagram sometimes. And so I just, just previously I'd been eating te- teaspoons of peanut butter dipped in, in vegan chocolate spread. And a, a bit of it had actually, I think like gone on the end of my nose or somewhere. I didn't notice or on my chin. I think it was a big dollop of chocolate on my chin. So I was like doing this whole video or whatever. And then I went in to put in the captions and I think I put in the captions and then I, w- I looked at it. I was like, what the fuck is that on my chin? And then I realized, I think it actually had already uploaded it. And then I looked at the, the video. I was like, oh my God, that's chocolate spread on my chin. And I was, and I had a moment and I thought, do I, will I go back and delete these? I was like, no, because I actually was no. quite fun what I was doing. And so therefore, so then I went in, I did another video. I was like, and I've just done, I've just realized that the whole way I've had, I've had a piece of chocolate on my chin. I didn't even wipe it off. I just pointed to it. I was like, this is chocolate because I was eating peanut butter and chocolate spread. And people were, you know, loads of people sent me comments. They were like, I was literally wondering what the fuck is that on her chin? Is it that like, is I was like rubbing the, rubbing the screen. And, and they, and they were like, I love that you didn't delete the videos that you just came back on here with the chocolate still on your chin and told us what it was. And I'm like, what have you got to lose by being right. ill? Right. It makes people warm to you and relate to you as a human being. Do you think that's why comedians and comedians and comedians are so 
people love them so much because they're just so willing to be open and vulnerable and laugh at themselves? I do think there's a real intimacy with comedy. I, it, it, when, when you think of who your favorite comics are, mm. very often the reason that person is your favorite comic is they make you feel seen. You feel like, I, oh, I just, I yes. know that guy. I just get that person. I get that life experience. I just totally understand it. And that's intimacy. And yeah. I think that's one of the reasons that stand-up comedy is booming, even though we're not able to tour right now. But the idea of comedy and, and doing stand-up um, is, is just really booming is mm-hmm. because that people are, they, they people feel are desperate that need of removing yeah. the stick from their ass and just yeah, right. Well, that, well, that too, it's one, it helps you relax, but you just, it goes back to that loneliness thing, that lack of village. You just feel like, Oh, this guy's from my village. Mm-hmm. This guy's from my village. And that's why people are our favorite. Do comic. you know, uh, JP Sears, you know? Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. He's yeah. in Texas too. He's a good friend of mine actually. So yeah, I think he might've just moved to my city. My husband and I were just trying, cause I'm in Austin, Texas. I thought I heard. Yeah. That he's in Austin. Like, yeah. Yeah. He is. Oh really? Well, yeah. I, yeah, I haven't run into him. And yet. he does like, uh, he does loads. Of, he does comedy sketches with local people. So I'll connect you guys if you. Oh good. Yeah. Let me be one of his local people. Yeah. Yeah. I know. I, well, I just, I, yeah, he's, he's so, so good. I just realized how shiny I am. I've just looked myself I'm so shiny you're always ugly. gorgeous it just emphasizes your it's a with you it's a goddess glow look greasy when kim is shiny it's like she just looks like she floated down from mount olympus <laughs> it's really not true but you're very kind for saying so i oh my god i keep hitting my because I have, i'm not used to the microphone being on the side here um I keep we should do an interview sometime where we're both drinking that I, we totally should here i honestly really wanted to start a podcast which is like coffee talk with kim where or like wine time with Kim. Do you know, like a few weeks ago, I did a podcast and we are going to have to finish shortly because I've kept you for an hour now, but I did a podcast recording a few, um, I think it was a couple of months ago. And I was so stressed in the business. I, it was just something had happened. I can't even remember what it was, but it was like the, the Facebook ads algorithm changed for the whole iOS update. And it was in the middle of a launch and this has happened. And somebody said they were leaving. And anyway, it had all gone tits up. And I knew that I had to record this podcast. I was sitting in my office and I, my, um, my, uh, Oh my God, I can't think what her bloody name is. Her name is Rachel, but she looks after all my customer. Customer services manager had um, brought me in a gift recently. Her her husband is like a, he works for Jack Daniels. So she brought me in this little gift box of whiskey, of little bottles of whiskey. And it was actually Irish whiskey though. So it wasn't Jack Daniels. And I knew it was in the drawer behind me in the office. And I was like, I think I'm just going to drink some whiskey. And I think it's just going to take the edge off me. So I turned around and I opened up and I poured it into my coffee cup. And I like, and I, so I was sipping the whiskey. And after one little bottle of whiskey, I thought, no, like these are like shot bottles, you know, like little ones. I thought that's really good. I think I'm going to have another one. So I, I had another one and then I went in to record the podcast and I was just nice. telling everyone, I was like, I'm sitting here drinking whiskey. And I was like, this is like whiskey time with Kim. And I was like, cause I've had a shit day. And I just went on and did like the best podcast. And people literally wrote to me and said, that was the best episode, Kim, because we oh, want yeah. more whiskey whiskey episodes with Kim drinking whiskey. Yes, uh, you can make that premium, charge $100 an episode and we're all buying it. Here, I'm telling you, you know, that. so that is something I have in the pipeline. If that is something you'd be interested in, we should definitely try that as a- I'm in right now, 100%. Yes, and we could put it on YouTube and we could literally just like, you know, wine time, wine time with the girls. Anything is six hours behind me. So either I'm drinking very late or you're drinking early. Either way, we'll make it work. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's fine. I am up for, for Kim, I day drink. Oh, I love day drinking. Um, Jen, please tell me uh, where my listeners can find you. We're going to link to everything in the show notes. So where's the best place that they can connect with you? 
Okay. If they're in the States, I actually, I said I couldn't draw. I, we are on tour now. So uh, jfcomedytour.com. Come see me in person. Instagram is my favorite platform. Uh, I am on Instagram stories just about 24 seven. I'm like you, I love the Instagram stories. So I am Jennifer Fullweiler on Instagram. I know you can't spell Fullweiler, but take your best guess and it will probably come up. You'll, you'll see it suggested that that app knows who spends 24 seven on their app. So I will come up, but I'm also on TikTok and Facebook. Just search for Jennifer Fullweiler. And again, jfcomedytour.com is where you can come see me in person. Oh my God. I wish that the United States would let me in and I would come and see you in person because they've closed all their borders. What city are you in in Ireland? Well, we're, I'm in the North in Belfast um, and it's supposed to be opening on Labor Day, which is the 6th. And so I actually have flights booked to the States on the 4th of October. So fingers crossed if, and I'm coming for a week um, because I have a whole team in America and I keep hitting myself again here. I have a whole team in America and I haven't seen them for like two years in person because of COVID. So um, so fingers crossed, um, I'm going to be there and I have someone in Atlanta, Georgia, uh, but she'll probably fly up to New York. But anyway, I will definitely come see you live one day. I'll be like in the front. Oh, in I'm the front so row, excited. Like, um, oh, yes. And, you know, and then I'll come to Ireland. I, my ancestors are from Ireland. I've always anytime. wanted to. So I will visit you out there. Anytime. And we definitely, and uh, for those of you listening, stay tuned for the uh, wine time with Jen and Kim or whatever we're going to call it, whiskey time with Jen and Kim. It or is happening. Drinking with 100% Jen and Kim. it is happening. I am totally up for that. I absolutely am. So we're definitely going to have to chat about that. Jen, this has been uh, just not long enough, to be honest. I could have literally no, sat and chatted to you. Started. Yeah, sat and chatted to you all day. So um, thank you so much for coming on. We're going to link to everything in the show notes, all of your, your shows and your website and your social media. And um and we'll, we're definitely going to have round two at some point, but so we'll make it happen. I cannot wait. Okay. Thank you so much. I'll chat to you soon. Thank you. Okay. Bye. Oh my God. Did you not just love Jen as much as I did? I could have spoken to her for hours and just listened to her speak. She just has the most incredible mind and I love her stories and I just love her perspective on life. She really just makes me feel like I'm not doing too bad a job and that everything's going to be okay. She has such a high energy vibration and I just think she is truly, truly wonderful. So thank you, Jen, for coming on the podcast and I am so grateful and delighted to be able to call you my friend and I just wanted to say that publicly. So guys, don't forget that if you want to win a Sculpted Vegan program. It's easy. All you have to do is leave a review wherever you listen to the podcast and then send me a screen grab of the review to my Instagram account at The Sculpted Vegan and you will go into a draw to win a Sculpted Vegan program. Susie did choose the winner last month and she announced it on my Instagram account and she sent me the name but I've forgotten to look it up at this time at the time of recording. So I will announce the winner next week. I apologize. I'm really shitty about remembering to announce the winner but I promise I will do it next week and you could be with a chance of winning if you leave me a review and send it to me on Instagram. Okay, guys, have a wonderful, wonderful rest of the week wherever you are. I love you. Thank you so much for listening. This has been amazing. Thank you, Jen. And I will talk to you next week for another episode of the Kim Constable podcast. Bye for now. <laughs>